Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. Before we get started on episode 3, we're going to take a quick look at a question that was asked by Victoria on Twitter. In regards to the Lala Fell, she asked, Do you think the stabbing is a genetic or societal trait? <laughs> um, Cody, what do you think about that? Okay, so the thing about this is I actually did some research into the whole Tonberry curse. And it is a bioweapon in the War of the Magi. Okay. So, I'm going to answer this in two ways. One with my brain, and one with my heart. <laughs> Alright, go for my, it. My brain says that the curse eventually causes these outbursts of violence and a, a loss of self. Because we, we start to see, like, all Tonberries eventually start to devolve into this just sort of mindless killing machine mm -hmm. um but we do encounter several that have like varying levels of lucidity um oh. there there's some that are just uh you know they're they're your mindless stabby boys there's one that's a tonberry king and the tonberry king is capable of speech and he seems to actually have like a, a goal like he wants to avenge his fallen brothers Oh, okay. Yeah, so so this guy, he's still conscious, but he's still violent. <laughs> Does he have any followers like a king would have? <clears throat> um, I'm not really sure, because most of the other ones are fairly mindless. So I don't really know if they're following him or if he's just sort of taking up the role as what he used to be. Right, because Tonberries don't generally attack each other, right? Right. So then we encounter some that are also like friendly like they, they carry on conversations they work with you they talk to you then you know you're just chill whatever but eventually i believe they too would eventually succumb to the curse so i want to say that it's a side effect of the curse but that it preys on some innate uh susceptibility right. maybe some lalafell are just more prone to giving in quicker Right, like the society part of the Lala Fell builds them up to be uh, very intuitive when it comes to sharp wits and things like that, or, or you know maybe aggression even with their political games. And yeah. then whenever the curse so sort of just drains away at their mental blocks for those you know bad habits, as it drains and drains, all of a sudden all that's left is you know stabby stabby. That. Yeah. <laughs> but the other side is <laughs> with my heart. The Lalafell are tiny and they're tired of being tiny. They want power. <laughs> and when given the opportunity to just become a monster and stab, they just become a monster and stab. <laughs> they don't fight it. It's just time to accept it. Yes. <laughs> I say, this is my fate and I'm going to stab. You know, that may just be their, their best way to get through it. Maybe the king's got to change his goals a little bit. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll go ahead and get into the episode now. All right. Welcome to the third episode of the Moguls and Mages podcast, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. I am Dan. I know very precious little about Final Fantasy XIV, but I am beginning to learn more and more. My brain is becoming more wrinkled, all <laughs> thanks to my friend Cody, 
who knows Hello. a lot about Final Fantasy fourteen. Yes, I, I I know enough. <laughs> now, what are we talking about today? So, how you feel about elves? Uh, I know there's a notion online about dark skin tan elf girls. Um, <laughs> in general, I everybody I, I, likes a good dark elf. So, yeah, yeah, that that's sort of where I'm at. Um, in elves in general, I I don't know. I I kind of do lean a little more towards the uh, dwarven appreciation mm. of elves where <laughs> 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 you know they're about as uh, good for fighting as they are to look at which um Those tree huggers <laughs> precisely precisely so the elizin are definitely tree huggers but i feel like before we really start talking about the race itself i think it makes more sense to start with gridania and and how the twelves would where the elves live came to be. Okay, yeah, you had mentioned those names at the end of the last podcast. Yeah. Let me pull up that map that you had sent me before. So where are we looking at on the map here? We are on the eastern side of Eorzea. It's or it's on the border to uh, Alamigo. Border of Alamigo. Or it's a yellow flag. Almost. There. Oh, wait, a pastor. Hang on. Yellow flag. Let me go. Oh, no, it seems that I lost it. Hmm. Eorzea map. Now, one thing that I was curious about, mm -hmm. Eorzea is like a, a continent? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's not the, the name of the world. No, the, the world is actually called Heidelin. Heidelin. Okay. Oh, I even found a map that was labeled. <clears throat> well, that's convenient. Yeah. That will help a lot. Um, so, way back in uh, what's called the Fifth Astral Era. That means that there's been four calamities prior to this. That's how the naming works. Um, every Astral Era is followed by a Umbral Era. And usually that brings a calamity along with it. Oh, okay. So is that just a natural thing of how events work or was that put in a place by something calling it natural uh isn't exactly accurate you'll learn much more about those once we start talking about the primary antagonist group mm. we'll get there i have okay. a great plan for a lead up to these people oh so so way back during the you know beginning of the sixth astral era this is when the war of the magi happens Right. And the War of the Magi culminates in the Great Flood. These mages, basically their rampant consumption of ether drastically tipped the, the ethereal balance of the world towards water. They, they were consuming the other elements at such a pace. Wait, so what's the connection between aether and the elements then? So there, there's just ether right it's just this non-elemental stuff and it gets aspected as we call it and aspected ether leans towards an element uh, and these are divided between what we call astral elements and umbral elements and these are uh, active or passive okay so 
when one element starts to become Im when the elements become imbalanced uh you may start to see effects reflected in the rest of the world so like mm. if fire becomes more powerful than the other elements you may start seeing wildfires or droughts okay and then um, with water floods with water you started seeing torrential rain and flooding and this caused catastrophic damage to the planet or at least to eorzea i can't mm. really speak for the whole planet but a lot of damage um, okay and the people the the hure and the elizen that were already living in the area that became the twelves wood uh well they were you know driven out because at this point the elements that are you know these natural beings in that area they go okay enough's enough you guys can't be trusted get out mm. and they're they're mad right understandably so so the here and the elizen flee into these network of caves that run underneath that area and they founded a nation they called gelmora and gelmora is just this underground place it's a, a, a full of ruins you can still see them all over the place mm -hmm. <clears throat> and while they are down there the elements just fill this place with an extremely dense canopy of trees huh. and it became known as the black shroud and, and that's the underground area that they're getting all the trees oh no the, the trees are above ground my bad oh, okay gotcha so the elements on top covered of... the surface with tons of trees super dense became known as the black shroud eventually the people of gelmora start sending envoys up to the elements being like hey can we come back to the surface We'll, we'll play by your rules. We'll, we'll do whatever you want us to do. We just want to live in harmony. Mm. And eventually the elements say, fine. But you have to do what we say. Okay. So some groups of these people, the, the Elizabeth and the Here, uh, they leave Gilmora. And they head to the surface. And they found the nation of Gridania. And they're, you know living blessed by the elementals uh and these elizen become known as the wild wood elizen oh okay so that's so these, one of the two tribes they, they sound very druid like they mm -hmm. listen to the elements and, and respect their wishes yes the remaining elizen though they said no we're not we're not going back up there we're gonna stay underground Mm -hmm. And those guys became known as the Dusk White. Okay, now, before we go on from here, when we were talking about the Makote, you had mentioned that the uh, it's the Keepers of the Moon, right? Mm -hmm. That the Keepers were sort of like an analog for the Dark Elves. That's what the, the Dusk White sound like. They very much are. So, I'll send you a picture really quick of the Elizen. So, the ones on the left the more like uh, fair-skinned human tones those are your wildwood okay right because they're getting sunlight the ones with the more gray skin tones those guys are your dusk white they're <laughs> they're like the drought cody i've seen twilight these are not drought these are vampires <laughs> 
They're so pale. Yeah, I mean, look, it wouldn't surprise me if that guy on the right striking the JoJo pose, he would definitely sparkle. Well, you know, to be fair, so did the Pillar Men. Also, so. speaking of JoJo poses, there is a very JoJo posey Elizen that we will. There's a couple, actually. Oh boy, excellent. Um, so, the Dusk White are, you know, sort of similar to the Keepers of the Moon. They're they're less populous. They're more reclusive. A lot of them are less friendly. Mm-hmm. And the Wildwood, they are, they just define Gridania. Um, hmm. The here definitely live there, but the Wildwood are the bulk of the uh, Elizin population there. So that that makes sense because whenever you're looking at the the Dusk White, uh, that's what they are, right? Dusk White. Yes. So the Dusk White, they're remaining underground, uh, certainly on purpose, and they're staying away from all these other societies. I'm assuming that they're not really making much contact with them. It makes sense that they're not going to be the most friendly or you know receptible, staying off the map like that. Eventually, they did come to the surface. Gelmora is no more. Okay. Yeah, it, it is a fallen nation. So they had their own issue that brought them up. Mm-hmm. I don't exactly know why, but whatever it was, it wasn't friendly. The ruins, the, the Gilmoran ruins around the area are turbo haunted. Haunted? Okay, so are we talking spirits? We're talking doomsday cults. We're talking Ooh. void scent. There, there's an entire area known as the Palace of the Dead that is supposed to trap some wandering souls that die in the Twelveswood. Gee, okay, so that's just flat out sucking souls out from above, huh? And that's a Gilmoran ruin. Okay, they, so they, they really made something Something's upset. up with Gilmora. <laughs> I don't know personally what's up with Gilmora, but there's some stuff that's up with Gilmora. And then they're ruining the, the, the life above, it sounds like, if it's sucking up souls from the Twelves wood. It's a mess, but the thing is, if I had to pick, I'd rather deal with the Gelmorans than the Elementals. Screw the Elementals. Oh, now, you made them sound like they were kind of nice, like, okay, oh, God, yeah, no. we, we can... Oh, really? No, 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 the, the, the Elementals are vengeful. Um, oh, <clears throat> so there is kind of... there is a phenomenon known as wood sin or wood wrath, and it's basically you've wronged the elementals. Uh oh, yeah, you, you were saying something and I cut you off. Sorry. Oh, you could. Um, I was going to say that. You know what? For oh, that's right. <laughs> that that uh, from first glance, from what you were saying, it sounded like the elementals weren't that difficult to work with since they were saying okay you know what you can come back to the surface we've got some rules that you got to play by but it sounds like they're really really specific about these rules they are so there's a period uh where you know when alamigo had all of its refugees leaving after they fell to the garlean empire uh these refugees were moving west and they moved into the forest and they were saying, like, you know, we need food, we need resources. And they were talking to the Elizen of the area, and the Elizen are like, hey, we get it, we respect that, we'd love to help you, 
but we need to talk to the elementals first. Right. So they ask the elementals, and the elementals say, we remember what your kind did to our forest in the past. When Alamigo was expanding and you needed wood, you came and took. You didn't ask. You took. Mm, and they remember. As far as we're concerned, you can starve. So how did they react to that? Um, poorly. <laughs> as mortals because do. they're mad. You know, they're, they're mad. The Elizin, their hands are tied. They can't help them lest they risk the wrath of the elementals themselves. Right, right. Uh, the warrior of light, naturally. We save the day. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, the elementals are, f- are fickle and angry. In general. So, wait, how does the Warrior of Light resolve this issue? There's something with outsiders not being entirely beholden to the whims of the Elementals. It was more that the... If the Alamegans were to go and do things, they would have to face the wrath of the Elementals themselves. Oh, And the Elizin refused to help them because they didn't want to run into issues with their civilization. Right. Um, The Warrior of Light goes and we save some folks because we, I guess we have some favor. Like we're we're just a kind of a good person (laughs) in general. Uh, We have friends in the right places. Mm. And by friends in the right places, I mean another race. (laughs) Um, Okay. So these guys are connected to the Elizin, but they're not Elizin. Um, they're actually a offshoot of the Hur, called the Pajali, or the Pajal. Okay. So, so the, these are the Pajal. They are Hur, oh. but they have horns. Those are not ornaments. They have horns. Wow. So they look almost like uh, antlers uh, yeah. of sorts. So are all of them uh, white horns? Um, some of them have darker points, but they are mostly white that I remember, yeah. Now, these folks are really pasty as well, and they, it looks like blonde, redhead. Mm-hmm. Um, we meet some that have white hair, too. They, they kind of stop aging at some point in their, like, their teens, early 20s. Mm-hmm. So, the people you're seeing here, though they look extremely young, they are very old. And they can communicate with the elementals very easily. So these guys will sort of serve as envoys to the elementals. And as such, they become very revered and respected within Gridanian culture. They look very noble-like with their outfits for the most part. Mm -hmm. Long robes, very ornate dressing. So all three of those characters are white mages that's right you had mentioned that it was a like an off race of the hero that they were the only ones aside from the warrior of light that can be white mages canonically Mm -hmm. right yes so these guys are allowed to be white mages by the elementals so that's where the white mage power comes from Mm -hmm. solely for the, the 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 reason of not allowing the art to die 
Okay, so black mages pull their aether from what was the void area called? Uh, it's just called the void. Okay. Uh, oh, that's right. I was thinking twisting that. Yeah, void. So the black mages pull some of their aether from the void for their power. Mm-hmm. The white mages are allowed to get power by the elementals. Do they get power? Do they pull aether from the elements? Mm-hmm. So they start out as what's called a conjurer. Mm-hmm. And the conjurers basically just cast some basic uh elemental spells so like where black mages pull from generally fire ice and lightning conjurers use earth wind and water okay gotcha they can use their own ether to do things but again it's very expensive very taxing so they pull their abilities from the natural world around them this actually has some really interesting ramifications because, like, on Eorzea, they're casting stone, aqua, arrow. Um, they're healing, which is water aspected, I believe. Hmm. And as you get higher, you start seeing them cast less elemental aspected magic and more light aspected magic. So, what's the connection between the elements and the light aspect? So, it was believed originally that light was meant to be uh, sort of a, a like an elemental balance plus some... Um, I don't know how to put it right now. Uh, this was a really complicated thing that uh, uh, an Elizan tried to explain to me, but I'm smooth brain. <laughs> um but what what basically what we learned is that light and dark are not elements in themselves Mm. but that they are rather conditions of an element so light is stasis light is taking elements and basically calming them down and just saying hey chill where darkness is the opposite darkness is chaos and activity right that that's the word that i was thinking of this seems very much like a law and Mm -hmm. chaos side of things or order and chaos yeah yeah chaos and order so white mages have an ability to soothe the elements that's something they can do in lore so like when you're doing white mage quests, there will be points where the the elements are angry, and the white mages will appease them and calm them down. And I kind of feel like what that actually means is the white mage is just shifting the elements ether to be more passive, more light aspected. Hmm. That's right, because with, with elements, I imagine they're they're not so much sentient as we may think that they're more reactive to you know what their situation is like Mm -hmm. you know if you disturb the balance it's just their instinct to get really upset and and try to fix it themselves through or or, you know just react to that in anger Mm -hmm. um and then you've got these people who understand the elements better than the elements do Mm -hmm. that's really cool i love that so yeah with white mages i always pictured them you know from the older games where they, they heal, a little flash of light, 
and then you know your your blown up gut just kind of heals back up. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay, <laughs> that, that's that's, that's pretty know. much it. <laughs> their their magic is is you know we, we talked about the astrologians and how they're essentially like shifting your fate to where you weren't injured. Um, a white mage is more of like using your own innate ether to mm-hmm. sort of stitch your wounds on the fly. Hmm. Okay, so you're probably still ending up with scars and stuff after you're patched up. Right. This does mean that, you know, there are wounds that can't be healed. People can still die. And raising the dead is incredibly difficult, but possible. Interesting. Now, souls. Mm-hmm. All right. Are, are we just uh, stock box? Everybody has a soul, and you just kind of, whenever you die, you float around in, you know, purgatory, and then your soul can be brought back? Or, or how does this work with Eorzeans? So, from my understanding, whenever someone dies, their soul uh, is just, you know, comprised of ether, like everything else, and it is taken to the life stream where it is broken down into just ether and put back into the cycle of death and creation. Oh, okay. So that sounds like you're on a time limit whenever you die to be resurrected. Exactly. So people with particularly strong connections can, can, can still be raised, though the act of raising someone is... It, it takes so much ether that mm. I believe the Warrior of Light might be the only one that can do it. Oh, interesting. Uh, the, the White Mage storyline, well, the Conjurer storyline, actually involves a little girl who is really good at healing people. Like, now, really good. Is this going to be uh, anything spoilery for current stories? No. Okay, no. cool. Um, although, just in the future... Uh, there will be spoilers. I, I'm okay. not going to really hold back because there, there's a lot of cool stuff to talk about. Yeah, ho- so. hopefully that's the assumption going into the, uh, a story-based podcast like this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so she's really good at healing, right? And she doesn't actually understand how to borrow power from the elements. She's using her own ether. And hmm. the people are telling her, listen, you need to practice conjury because if you don't, you're going to kill yourself. Right. There's only so much you can pull out of yourself at a time. Right. So it, it comes to a head when a, a character is either dead or nearly dying. I can't remember. And she is contemplating trying to raise them. And they're, they're trying to stop her saying, like, please, this is going to kill you. Hmm. Um, and she does eventually wind up giving in and becoming a conjurer of the guild and learning. And she, she becomes a, a proper uh, conjurer by the end of it. Uh, Wait, she so pops wh- up later. What happened with the person? If they die, did oh, they, they die? They're, they're, they're gone. I oh. think they were already gone, is the thing. Oh, okay, gotcha. And she was so just I... pouring her ether into them. So that just would have been certain death for no certain outcome. Yeah. It, it's, you know, they're, they're a leaky bucket. And you're just dumping your ether into it for no gain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So white mages are that, but stronger. No, they, they, they hmm? go ahead. Sorry. The, the people that are doing this healing, the only ones capable of this are the white mages, right? Conjurers can heal. 
Conjurers can heal very well. White mages oh. just have some more advanced healing magic. Okay, so do all white mages start as conjurers canonically? Yes. Mm-hmm. As the black mages start as thaumaturges, and uh, white mages start as a, conjur- a conjurer. Okay, gotcha. Uh, it's that, That's the idea, is that they need to understand the basics of conjury before you can move on to the advanced craft of a white mage. That makes sense. I mean, it, it's it's like any other science with the way that they treat these things, it seems mm-hmm. like. Now, the, the race that mm-hmm. can be the white mages, what were they called again? The Pajal. The Pajal. Now, these are an off-branch from Hure, correct? Mm-hmm. And, and where did they come from again? They are just rarely born to Hure families. Oh. I don't know if they're only born to Hure families in the Twelveswood. I, I would expect them to. But they are children blessed by the Elementals. And then the horns are a sign of that. Mm-hmm. And oh, when okay. these children are born and their like pajali status can be determined uh they are taken and they're taken to gridania to the conjurers guild and they become like the de facto leaders of gridania mm. you know i was going to think initially that well you're you're taking these children that sounds very traumatic for them and the family but at the same time and God forbid that they, they go into the wrong hands of someone else who's trying to raise them up to, you know, to do evil with their powers. Because mm-hmm. yeah. if they can soothe the elements, most certainly they can tick off the elements. Absolutely. There is actually a storyline in the Stormblood expansion uh, involving a Pajali child whose mother refuses to give her to the mm-hmm. uh, conjurers. And she's hiding them. And because this child is never taught to control their power, uh, their power kind of runs rampant. And they they sort of serve as this ethereal, like, beacon to the void scent. Oh, no. And they get attacked by void scent quite often. Because the void scent are just like, what's this tasty ether I smell? Right, right. Ooh, look at all this chaos that's running muck. Mm-hmm. So it needs to be contained for their safety and the people around them. But yeah, it, it definitely could still be traumatic for the family. Hmm. So the Alizen, before we get mm. too far away from yeah, them... Yeah, it's easy to get sidetracked. <laughs> what's their culture like? Uh, well, let's start with the, uh, the, the ones that live uh, above ground druidic is a pretty decent way to to cover it they are skilled in archery uh leather working wood crafting mm-hmm. they chill in the forest and listen to the elementals that's what elizen do <laughs> okay, so cookie cutter wood elf type stuff uh, they are very cookie cutter wood elf the the dusk white on the other hand they're your bad boys <laughs> you know i love they're, my bad they're boys, like Cody. i'm gonna i'm gonna be the rogue i'm gonna be a thief screw your hoity-toity uh wood elf rules <laughs> you sneaky boys yeah but aside from that the 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 Elizen are remarkably adaptable to living in other cultures that surprises me a lot actually because 
there's a lot of machinery and I imagine factories that are mm-hmm. in, in this world. And my assumption would be that, you know, anything that's this disruptive to the, in the natural forces of taking what was just, you know, forest land and then turning it into a factory to assemble machinery and airships and stuff, I, I figured that that would really annoy them. So what's what's really interesting is the elements don't really have much of a presence outside of the twelve wood. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why it could actually be to due to the like rampant modernization of the world around them that mm. just the the weakening of the natural world has led to the elementals becoming weaker themselves. Mm-hmm. They were weakened after the fall of Dalamud, which is... we'll get there. <laughs> so it sounds almost like Game of Thrones with the old gods, where... Not familiar. It, you said you're not familiar? Mm, no. So in Game of Thrones, there's a whole lot of mythology that goes into it, but there's old gods, new gods, and then you know other mismatched gods. But with the old gods, they preside in the northern area of this one continent. That's where their powers seem to be. Hmm. Um, And the sort of area of focus for them are these trees called weirdwoods. And they're these white trees with, I think, this papery bark that um, they have these faces on them. And they're very disturbing if you look at them in the show, and I imagine the, <laughs> the books describe them to be a lot more creepy. But they're very strange, and in the northern culture, you know, it, it's very spiritually bound. You know, you, you pray to them, and I think there's a lot of family lineage type stuff that's associated with them. And you find out that okay, you know, all the trees are connected, and that you know the the, the old gods sort of can see the world through these. And it sounds like a similar thing where, okay, maybe it's not trees, but different areas of elemental focus were lost during these times. And as the ages go by, they've, you know, maybe the elements have gathered at the Twelves Wood. Maybe that's blocked in or something, but it sounds like ultimately that's where they're hanging out now. Yeah, that that's very, that's very likely. Man, so it, I also imagine that the Elzen are going to be fiercely protective of the twelfth wood very much so uh their their standing army is known as the wood whalers and <laughs> they are very very fiercely protective of the of the of the twelfth wood yeah why are they called whalers it's a good question um i don't know <laughs> if it if it comes from like some kind of old war cries or something um, but I'm sure there's a reason for it. I just, I don't actually know what it is. Hang okay, on, let's, let's see if anybody can tell me really quick. Because while you're looking that up, I'm thinking, all right, these guys, they're going around. Maybe they've got an airship. Maybe they've got <laughs> giant harpoon guns on the airship, and that's how they attack people. Oh, oh, other whaling. W-A-I-L. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> They're not oh, hunting wood okay. whales. <laughs> that makes a lot more sense. Whales have no place in the forest. <laughs> oh, man. 
I mean, we have void whales. We have sky whales. Why not? <laughs> Actually, yeah, there, there's no, there's nothing here that says why they're called wood whalers. It's probably got to be something to do with their their battle cries or something. Yeah, they're they're largely spearmen. Hmm. Um, though they do have archers, but yeah. Okay. Okay. So maybe a little bit of the other kind of whaler in it too, with the spears. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> we can hope for we can hope for uh, so, some continuation of their character development. So, something interesting about uh, the Elizen is that you you have this this group of them, right, that live in the forests and and the temperate climates and all that. Mm. There's actually another group of Elizen altogether. These guys are a lot like how the Hur have Doma. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys are called the Ishgardians. Ishgardians. Now, Doma, you said, was sort of like Asia. China? Yeah, yeah a- just Asia a generic a Asian them. analog. It's a mix of a bunch of Asian cultures. So, Ish- Ishgardia? Uh, Ishgard. I-S-H-G-A-R-D. Okay, so what's this like for the Elizan? Ishgard is extremely cold. Whoa. It is a frozen region up north known as Curthus. And good. So, hmm, so so this uh this building or this this construct is That is Ishgard. So it's like this giant series of towers all piled up on, on top of each other. It almost looks like Hogwarts. It's FF14's version of Minas Tirith. <laughs> gotcha except instead of being Ill- built into a mountain it-, it looks like it stems off of a mountain into a huge valley that surrounds it mm-hmm. and then there's just that one narrow pathway that connects to it right so that pathway is known as the steps of faith mm. and that the huge valley below it that's known as the sea of clouds Okay, aptly named. There's just a lot of clouds and, and, and fog there. Do we know what's underneath it? Uh, death. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Sea of Clouds is a vast ethereal storm. Mm. If you go further down than that cloud layer, really, you will be frozen and torn apart by oh. just horrible winds and ice and storms. Okay, so this is really high up. Mm-hmm. Very. Interesting. So what kind of things do they do in Ishgard? They are extremely religious. Extremely religious. So these guys are like like medieval, like Dark Ages religion. Um, mm. the, it, it is a... Is it Ecclesiarchy? Yeah, yeah, run by religious it officials. It is ruled by the church. Ishgard is ruled by the church. And it has a group of noble houses that are like the secondary rulers, the de facto de facto rulers of society. <laughs> of course. And then there are the poor folk. And they live in the slums. Oh, okay, so I imagine that you've got the poor folk living on the, the lower end of Ishgard, and then you yes. got Okay, you got your royalty mm-hmm. on top and stuff. And that that's a huge disparity in Ishgard's class warfare. Hmm. Um, which is fitting because the Elizan names are French. So we have our own little <laughs> Les Mis going on in Ishgard. Oh, beautiful. The, their, their super deeply religious thing extends into, they have inquisitors, they have heresy. 
Mm. Oh, you know I love me some heresy. They have secret police known as the Dark Knights. <laughs> Wait, now, are are these associated with the, the Dark Knights that... That's the class? Yes, sir. Mmm. Uh, the Dark Knight job are not actually secret police for the poor, but secret police for the wealthy. They are Batman. Oh, that sounds so cool. They they find Ishgardian nobles and, and like, guardsmen and army that are misusing their power, and they deal with it. Oh, okay, and so then the, the, those Dark Knights have their own, own, own sort of alcove, or is it more just the Warrior of Light becomes a vigilante? Dark Knights tend to operate either alone or in small groups. There aren't many of them. Okay. There's no Dark Knights Guild, for example, that would never be allowed to exist in Ishgard. Right, right. No, no way the, the wealthy would allow such a thing. Exactly. The player does become one, though, yeah. So Ishgard sounds massive if it's got so much space for this to happen within the city. It does. And it's also really shocking that it's as big as it is, because Ishgard has been at war with the dragons for like a thousand years. And this is the current picture that you sent me. Yeah. It looks unscathed. Yeah. That's because they have a magical barrier around the Steps of Faith that prevents anyone from approaching by land or air. <laughs> of course, barriers are dragon-proof. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> they're dragon-proof until they're not. That actually becomes a thing in Heaven's Word. <laughs> so wait, how do the dragons get around that? Uh, they send a big-ass dragon that just goes marching down the steps of faith, breaking barriers as he pleases. <laughs> of course. Big dragon. Yeah, it's a Mundo dragon. <laughs> you know what? I gotta respect the draconic approach. In Final Fantasy, it seems like dragons are very much more, um, I, I, I guess, determined in, in their path. You know, in D&D, you've got all these different kinds of dragons and the, the ones that are considered more evil and, you know, fight against mortals. You know, they, they tend to be a lot more manipulative and cunning and, and they would try and do all sorts of other things. But Final Fantasy dragons? <clears throat> Make big dragon. Send big dragon. The dragons have a lot of nuance to them. Yeah. It's it's really interesting. Yeah. I'm not going to go into it now because we're we're gonna talk way too much about the dragons <laughs> um i'll talk about them more before we talk about the meteor project and and maybe when we're talking about primals i'll go over it but i will mm -hmm. mention some really quick uh because we're going to be talking about some notable elizin oh okay uh there's quite a few of them the mm -hmm. elizin became extremely prominent in the story starting way back in realm reborn with uh the the, the Chad himself, Louis Sois Leveilleur. Uh, <laughs> oh, you, you weren't kidding about the French names. No. The Leveilleur family is actually pretty important on the whole. Hmm. Uh, Louis Sois is known for, one, saving the Warrior of Light's ass, and two, killing Bahamut. Whoa. I, I don't know Bahamut from this game, but I've seen pictures of him, and I, I think I've seen him in other games. 
He's a big deal, right? Like, isn't he a prime Very much so. We'll get into it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yes and no. He is the grandfather of the twins in the Scions, uh, Alfino and Alize. They're sort of the young up-and-comers of the Level Year family. Okay, now real quick, Elizin being the, the elf analog, are they practically immortal? You know, do they just have a really long lifespan? They live longer than humans, longer than here, but they don't live as long as the Viera, which we'll talk about later. Hmm. But yes, they, they do live very long lifespans, but they're not like your other elves that are like, we live for all time mm-hmm. uh, immortal beings. No. Okay. There are actually three Elizin in the Scions alone. Uh, we have Alfino, Alize, and then the guy who started out boring and quickly became everyone's favorite kind of cool uncle. <laughs> <laughs> His name is Yorianje Algarel. Okay, now what has he done? So he's sort of the Scions research man. He's a book boy. That's what he does. But he kind of became a meme later, although it then became less of a meme and just became sad, uh, for having a big Rugadin girlfriend. Uh-huh. And, yeah, I know. Wait, so uh, what, what becomes sad about it? Oh, she gets killed. Oh. I know. That's a recurring thing with the Rugadin. There aren't many female Rugadin in the story, and it's a shame. Bad things tend to happen when they introduce them, <laughs> and I hate it. Oh, all we want is some Rugadin love, man. Right? Exactly. So he becomes an astrologian later in the story. Oh. Uh, because he's all about prophecies and foretelling and stuff, right? So it naturally fits with his personality. But what that yeah. means is that he goes Yu-Gi-Oh as hell. Oh, and no. And he starts striking JoJo poses with his cards in the hand. And, <laughs> oh, God, he's amazing. So, so he's still a good guy with this, right? Yeah, yeah, very much. He's just a okay. dork. He's a huge <laughs> dork. Like, he can't, he can't swim. Or at least he doesn't like to swim. So he goes through all this trouble of, of trying to, like, learn to cast a spell that lets him walk on water. <laughs> But if he gets distracted, he just falls in the water anyway. (laughs) Speaking of Jojo poses, it sounds very much like, oh, what was it? Joseph? Mm. Your next line is going to be. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's perfect for him. I I love seeing him in storylines. He's so much fun. He actually becomes very invested in Shadowbringers in the storylines with the Fae. So you have him in what is essentially the Fey Wilds, mm. trying to just survive dealing with the fairies. Oh, okay, so fairies are, are a dangerous path. They huh? are mischievous little scamps. <laughs> uh, and by mischievous, I mean they'll kill you and turn you into a tree. Oh, oh no, 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 no. I've seen that story. <laughs> I know what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I do not want to be Tree Boy. It's very common between. It's a common link between D and D and Final Fantasy. Don't mess with the Fey. <laughs> that that does sound really similar to the D and D Fey. Mm-hmm. So some other very notable 
uh, there is a man who is the most Batman of all Batmen. Uh, his name is Estinian Wormblood. Ooh. Wormblood. Worm as in W-Y-R-M. Oh, okay, so, so a dragon blood. Oh, let's go. And because, you know, they're at war with the dragons, right? So you'd think that would be kind of heresy. But you see, way back when in the war, the Ishgardians struck a blow against Nidhogg, one of the uh, more powerful dragons. Hmm. And okay. this is actually what sparked what's known as the Dragon Song War. And that's been raging for a thousand years. Wait, so why, why did they attack Nidhogg to begin with? Because they're dicks. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, so the, the Ishgardians were all trapped up in something religious, I bet. The Ishgardians were the aggressors in this war. Right. They started it. So so I'm, I'm guessing something along the lines of, Dragon, are you aware you're committing heresy against the Lord? <laughs> it was and more, then... <laughs> Dragon, you've got a lot of ether. I wants it. <laughs> Gimme. <laughs> uh, so, so they actually took Nidhogg's eye. What a dick move! Yeah, and dragons actually store their ether in their eyes. And they, they live for, you know, they're nigh immortal. So they have, like, essentially limitless reserves of ether in their bodies. Right, because they're just storing up more and more. Mm -hmm. So taking this Eye of Nidhogg was a huge boon for Ishgard. Because what it allowed them to do was sort of infuse people with a little bit of Nidhogg's power. Oh, and that's how we get Wormblood? Mm-hmm. And oh. th this is when Estinian becomes known as the Azure Dragoon. I've heard of dragoons. So dragoons are the are a advanced form of the lancer class, and in in lore, there was only one that then became sort of there were a bunch of dragoons, but there was only one azure dragoon, and he's like the dragoon, right? Oh, okay, gotcha. So Ishgard employs dragoons to help take the fight to the dragons because dragoons are known for jumping. Mm -hmm. They channel their ether to, uh, as we see in the Heavensward cinematic, fling themselves into the sky extremely quickly. Oh, so they're aerial warriors. Mm -hmm. And then they can reposition in midair and just launch themselves as just like tactical nukes oh, at dragons. That sounds incredible to see. I can only imagine the fights. Uh, remind me to show you the Heavensward cinematic sometime. You'll like it. Mm. Um, so Estinian is like the dragon, uh, the dragoon, right? The mm. Warrior of Light does become an Azure dragoon, though. So there are two now. Okay. No, no, they they lead the other dragoons just because they're more powerful dragoons, I imagine. Yeah, they're the most powerful. Okay. okay. The rest of the dragoons have, you know, they get a little bit of draconic power within them but the azure dragoon can really channel it okay and so i imagine that they're they're sort of branching off from ishgardian culture and making their own semi-draconic ishgard hybrid culture for them for their own group you know they're estinian's like even more fervent in his hatred of dragons 
Mm. Um, he does soften a lot over time, thanks to meeting another important Elizan named Isail. Isail is a member of what they call the Dravanians, and the Dravanians are the Draconic faction. So she's an Elizan who has decided to join the dragons in their oh. crusade against Ishgard. Whoa, okay. Mm-hmm. She actually uh, becomes the host to a primal. Uh, oh. She becomes known as Lady Iceheart. So sort and of like an avatar kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, she becomes Shiva, the Lady of Ice. Whoa. Yeah, so she, she essentially takes Shiva into herself, and she can just become her when she wants to. Now, I, I'm really curious about the religion of, of Ishgard. Is it the kind of thing that it's mostly just for show, and it's forged their culture, and that's why they uphold it so fiercely? Or is there a lot of real people following it truthfully? I believe that there actually is a lot of people that are legitimately invested in it. They, they worship a deity known as Halone, and uh, Halone is a, a, a goddess of, of vengeance. Mm. She's a member of, you know, we called it the Twelves Wood. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called the Twelves Wood because of the Twelve. These are the Twelve patron deities of Eorzea. Oh, okay, so she's one of the Twelve. She is one of the Twelve. So they, they worship her. And I, I do believe that a lot of them truly worship her as a religion. But it was corrupted by the uh, upper echelon of Ishgardian uh, nobility. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So Go ahead. That, that, that's just very fascinating seeing this all sort of come together. Yeah. I, I love seeing such depth to to the cultures of, of these different places i want to i want to see a diagram of everything you know a cheat sheet of okay you know here's this town here, here's this what the, what they believe with who they have beef with but mm. it's starting to see like every group of people has beef with like three other groups of people at least <laughs> yeah yours is not the nicest place now ishgard are they a part of, of the eu <laughs> they are now Okay, cur courtesy of the Warrior of Light, I imagine. They they maintained a uh, a business relationship with Eorzea. Mostly, mm. we'll give you chocobos, you pay us, uh, <laughs> and then stay the hell out of our town, you filthy heretics. <laughs> okay, now chocobos are are the giant chickens, right? Yeah, horse birds. Okay, and they're, and they're essentially the the horses of this world. Mm -hmm. They're they're your beast of burden. Okay. Although, don't discount a chocobo as just a horse, uh, oh? because they can cast magic. What? Uh, and a chocobo will drop a meteor on you. Whoa! Yeah, choco meteor is a thing. <laughs> oh. Now, I, I don't know much about them, but I know that in Final Fantasy VII, it, it was a whole thing that you were telling me about with, okay, you can breed different ones, and they have these different effects. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different variants of Chocobo, huh? Oh, yeah. We can change their color in fourteen, but it doesn't actually change what they do. I can only imagine a Chocobo meteor. 
how many times has that happened is, is that just a really rare thing that someone just kind of occasionally references or is this something like you be nice to that chocobo or else he's gonna kill us i believe it's particularly red chocobo that can do it uh but it happens a lot with the red chocobo what yeah they're they're red chocobo are dicks <laughs> why would anyone want one of those I don't know, because it, it's yours. You know what? Yeah, I guess if, if you're going in battle against it and that chocobo cares about you, he's going to meteor anyone who's trying to hurt you. Blue mages have a chocobo combat a combo attack where they both drop meteors on people, so... <laughs> Wait, blue mages? Uh, they can use monster abilities. What? Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll get there when we talk about classes. <laughs> I love it. It's another class that normal players can't experience, right? Actually, it's it's incredibly easy to teach. What? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess before we uh, before we, we into spin off, thing. yes, we'll just know that yeah, lots of people can be blue mages. Basically, anybody can be a blue mage. Well, I think we've got time for one more character. Right. So I would be crucified if i did not mention the elizin of elizins horshafont greystone he is like ascended to godhood among the fandom when we were exiled in the beginning of the heavens Root expansion he is your like soul friend in ishgard oh he's like you show up and you're like, dude, I've been framed for murdering the Sultana. And he's like, I don't know who that is, but I'm sure you didn't do it. Oh, yes. Okay, so he's the homie for you. Yeah. He's like, just come in here, have some hot cocoa, we'll talk about it. Oh. <laughs> that is a thing he does. Every time you talk to him, he's like, let's go get warmed up. I made some hot cocoa. Oh, man. He's just the broest of bros. Um,. He's like, he vouches for you when you go to Ishgard, and he helps you, you know, get your foothold and become less of a outcast. Mm. He's great. Like, we, we would have died in the snow if Horshvan did not save us. <laughs> uh, I, I can see the, the poetry there of the, the, the icy cold nips at my soul. I feel my energy fading. Have some hot cocoa. (laughs) Have some hot cocoa. (laughs) (laughs) And I I know we talked about spoilers, but here there be spoilers. If you are going through Heavensward, please turn back. (laughs) Horshafont dies. No! He takes a bullet for you. Oh, Horshafont! a, a a villainous knight of the the heavens ward tries to murder you in cold blood by throwing this ethereal spear at your heart. No. And Harshafon jumps in, blocks it with his shield, gets you out of the way, and then his shield breaks. Oh god. And and he's he's killed and and it's like at fan fests there are memorials to Harshafon. And his his final words to the player actually become used in a lot of story after. Uh, it's something you can actually say to someone else in Shadowbringer, but 
as he's laying there bleeding out, right, he says, don't cry. A smile better suits a hero. Oh. Oh, I feel that warming my heart, man. He's great. And that part hits you after a dungeon like a punch in the gut. It's just a story cutscene no one sees coming. And I like that's something that I'm just like, there are spoilers here. Please experience this for yourself. I I, I want to learn so much more about him. Can we talk about him more in the future? Well, I, guess, I guess we will as we talk about the stories. Hey, we'll talk about Heavensward at some point. And I, I will definitely talk about Harshvon. He's a great guy. I, I could really see that being the kind of thing that makes such an impact for for the culture that, that's been built around Final Fantasy fourteen, and, and that mm. is such a positive impact for some players. Yeah, he's great. It's really where, where FF14 started to sort of come to maturity, I guess. And I can see that, you know? It's the kind of thing where there's such a, a level of character connection that you can get for these people that you're that you're viewing yeah i don't i don't really give a crap about thrall i think he's a cool dude in world of warcraft <laughs> but yo he, he's never tugged my heartstrings thrall's not gonna die to take a bullet for me <laughs> exactly he's not gonna make hot cocoa for me when i'm feeling sad <laughs> Man, yeah. I, I, I think that's a good place to to end this episode mm-hmm. so just real quick though Oh, sure, Next sure. time, I think we're going to go a bit faster. Okay. Because the races we're covering next tend to have a bit less to talk about. Okay. So I think next time we're going to be covering, real quick, the Rugadin. Mm-hmm. They're cool. There's not that much about them. But I want to spend more time talking about the Alra. I think you'll like the Alra. Now, a quick, like, one-sentence description for them. Uh, dragons. Ooh! Okay, let's go. <laughs> okay, I'm pumped, man. Mongolian dragons. What? Better? Yeah. Better! <laughs> Better. Let's go. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today, and let's check out some Mongolian dragons in the next episode. <laughs> we'll see you there. Yeah, next time. <laughs> Thanks. Bye, Cody. Bye, everyone. See ya. Thanks for listening to our show. If you enjoyed it, give us a follow. We would love to hear your thoughts on what you want us to cover going forward. If there was something that you wanted to hear about in more detail, reach out to us on Twitter at Moogles and Mages or at MageMandan. Thanks for tuning in.